0: It's time for the Apple Seed, filled with stories for you and your family, all kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. We've got an hour's worth of terrific stories for you today in celebration of Thanksgiving. We'll bring you stories about the holiday, stories about being thankful for stuff, stories about great food, and even something from the first president of the United States. In fact, we're going to begin there. This is uh, George Washington. Now, it's 1789, and the new constitution of the United States of America has just been put into place as the governing document of a brand new nation. And George Washington, in those baby days of the nation, gives a proclamation instituting a day of thanks. Thanks for all we have. Thanks for all we have accomplished and here's George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation, read for you by Ron and We think it's a great way to begin our hour together. Here's Ron.
1: In the first year of his presidency, George Washington set aside November 26th as a day of public thanksgiving, fasting, and prayer. He penned and issued the following proclamation, which appeared in the Massachusetts Sentinel on October 14th, 1789. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor, and whereas both houses of Congress have, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer— To be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favours of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the twenty sixth day of November next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be, that we may then all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, and for the signal and manifold mercies and for the favorable interpositions of his providence, in the course and conclusion of the late war for the great degree of tranquility union and plenty which we have since enjoyed for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness and particularly the national one lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge and in general for the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and Ruler of nations, and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness unto us, and to bless them with good governments, peace, and concord, To promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue, and the increase of science among them and us, and generally to grant unto all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Given under my hand at the City of New York, the third day of October in the year of our Lord, 1789. Signed, G. Washington. This proclamation marked the first designated Thanksgiving celebration by the new government led by President George Washington.
0: Ron Fredrickson Reading George Washington's Thanksgiving Proclamation of 1789, it wouldn't be the last time that a president would make a Thanksgiving proclamation, and it wouldn't be the last adjustment to the date on which Thanksgiving is celebrated. George Washington, of course, instituted November 26th as a day of thanks, and nowadays it's the fourth Thursday in November. But different presidents have had their say as far as encouraging thankfulness in our nation. For fun, you can Google presidential Thanksgiving proclamations and you'll find that a lot of presidents have made proclamations around Thanksgiving time. And uh, those are worth reading and talking about. We always hope that the things we bring you here on the Appleseed spark great conversations around your dinner table or living room. But up next, we want to bring you something different. It's a folk tale, one of the Anansi folk tales. Anansi, the trickster spider who originated in West Africa. But there are versions of the Anansi stories all over the world. And this one is told for you by Joe Pagliuca. It's a story about, well, it's a story about harvest and food and greed. And, well, here's the story. Big Joe Pagliuca with Anansi and the Rain Cloud, here on The Appleseed. scene.
2: This is a story called Anansi the Spider and the Rain Cloud. Once upon a time, Anansi the Spider had a farm. Next to Anansi's farm, there was Rabbit's farm. Across the road, there was Turtle's farm. Every year, all three farmers worked very hard to grow the best fruits and the best vegetables to sell at market to make lots of money. But one year, there was a great big drought. No rain had come for weeks and weeks and weeks. The sun beat down on the ground every day. No rain would come. The ground got as hard as a rock. All the plants drooped. All the crops wilted. And all the fruits and vegetables shriveled up. And no one could grow anything to sell at market. And it was a very bad situation. Well, one day, Rabbit was taking a break from the relentless heat and he was sitting under a great big shade tree when down flew the Bird. and Bird saw Rabbit and he said, um, Rabbit, Rabbit, um, what seems to be the trouble, Rabbit? You look very sad. Why are you so sad? And Rabbit said, why am I sad? Why am I sad? He said, look at my farm. Nothing is growing. All we've had is sun, 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 and more sun. We've had no rain, no rain for weeks and weeks, and I don't know what to do. Well, the Kumer bird said, you know, rabbit, I have something to tell you. If you go to the hill on the other side of the jungle, you will find rain cloud. And if you bang on rain cloud's belly like a drum, the thunder in his belly will rumble and he will bring rain to your farm. And rabbit said, wow, D- do you think it'll work for me? And Coomber said, yes, I know it will. Well, rabbit said, well, thank you very much, Coomber Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so the next day, rabbit headed out and he grabbed two sticks and headed up the hill to go see rain cloud. And when he got up there, there was rain cloud, big and gray and puffy. And Rabbit went over to Raincloud. He said, um, excuse me, Raincloud, but I heard from the cool bird that if I bang on your belly like a drum, that the thunder in your belly will rumble and you'll bring rain to my farm. So I was wondering, could could I please bang on your belly? And Raincloud said, certainly, Rabbit. Bang on my belly and I'll bring rain to your farm. But please don't bang too much. Just bang a little bit. And Rabbit said, no problem, Raincloud. Thank you very much. And he took the sticks and started to bang on Raincloud's belly like a drum. bumba 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 While the thunder in Cloud's belly started to rumble. Rumble, rumble, rumble. And Rain Cloud started to shake. And he drifted on over to Rabbit's farm and it started to rain. Pitter-patter, 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 pitter-patter. And the ground got wet. And the plants and the crops got something to drink. And Rabbit stood on the top of the hill and he smiled. Mm. Well, Anansi was down on his farm, and Anansi was very upset. Anansi looked over and he said, Hey, what's going on here? How come it's raining on Rabbit's farm and not on my farm? What's going on? And Anansi was very upset. But Rabbit was very happy, and Rabbit came skipping down the road back to town. Bonga 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 bonga, and as he was going down, he ran into Turtle, and Turtle said, "Hey, Rabbit, I gotta ask you something. How come it's raining on your farm and not on my farm?
1: What's going
2: on here?" And Rabbit said, "You know what? I'll tell you. I'll tell you the secret. If you go to the hill on the other side of the jungle, you'll find rain cloud." And if you bang on Rain Cloud's belly like a drum, the thunder in his belly will rumble and he'll bring rain to your farm. And Turtle said, Whoa, do you think it'll work for me? And Rabbit said, Yeah, it will. It will. Go ahead, go do it. It's really good. He said, But you know what? One thing. Y- you can't bang on Rain Cloud's belly too hard. You just got to bang a little bit. And Turtle said, Thank you, Rabbit. Thank you very much. And so the next day, Turtle went out. And got two sticks and headed up the hill to go see Raincloud. Dump, da dump, da dump, da dump, da. This might take a little while, folks. Dump, da dump, da dump. But finally he got up there, and there was Raincloud sitting at the top of the hill. And Turtle said, Excuse me, Raincloud, but I heard from Rabbit that if I bang on your belly like a drum, that the thunder in your belly will rumble, and you'll bring rain to my farm. So I was wondering, could I please bang on your belly? And Raincloud said, Certainly, Turtle, bang on my belly, and I'll bring rain to your farm. But please don't bang too much, just bang a little bit. And Turtle said, No problem, Raincloud. And he took the sticks and started to bang on Raincloud's belly. Boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom. And when he did that, the thunder and rain clouds' belly started to rumble, 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 and rain clouds started to shake. And he drifted on over to Turtle's farm, and it started to rain, pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter, patter. And the ground got wet, and the plants and the crops got something to drink. And Turtle stood up there, and he smiled. Mm-hmm. But Anansi was down in his farm, and Anansi was very upset. Anansi said, Hey, what's going on here? Now it's raining on Turtle's farm? What is going on? And he was very upset, and he started to pace back and forth, really angry, not knowing what to do. Well, after a while, he heard some weird sounds, and he went and looked over his fence. And there was Turtle and Rabbit, and they were singing and dancing and giving each other high fives. Anansi ran over to see him, and he said, Hey, you two! "'What's going on around here?' "'Slowpoke! Big ears! "'How come it's raining on your farms and not on my farm?' "'Turtle looked over at Rabbit and he said, "'Hey, do you think we should tell him?' "'And Rabbit said, "'I don't know if we should tell him "'cause Anansi's always getting in trouble "'and if we tell him, he's gonna get in trouble.'" "'And Turtle said, "'Nah, he'll be okay.'" "'He said, "'Hey, Anansi.'" If you go to the hill on the other side of the jungle, you'll find Raincloud. And if you bang on Raincloud's belly like a drum, the thunder in his belly will rumble, and he'll bring rain to your farm. He said, but you gotta remember, you can't bang too much. You just gotta bang a little bit. And Anansi said, well, thank you for telling me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Anansi went home. Now, if you know about Anansi the Spider, you know that Anansi is a trickster. And he likes to come up with very sneaky plans. And when he got home, he was thinking of a very sneaky plan. And Anansi said to himself, Hey, you know something? Those two goofballs are doing it all wrong. All they're doing is banging on Raincloud's belly a little bit. And all they're getting is a little bit of rain. If I bang on Raincloud's belly a whole lot... I'll get a whole lot of rain and I'll have the best farm in the whole wide world. <laughs> and so the next day Anansi went out and he got a stick, but he didn't get little sticks. He got a great big heavy club and he headed up the hill to go see Rain Cloud. And when he got there there was Rain Cloud And Anansi didn't talk to Raincloud politely. He didn't ask permission to bang on his belly. He just took that great big club and started to bang on Raincloud's belly really hard. Bam, bam, bam!
3: Bam, bam, bam! Bam, bam, bam!
2: And when he did that, the thunder in Raincloud's belly started to rumble like never before. Rumble, 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 rumble. And Raincloud started to shake. And he drifted on over to Anansi's farm, and when he got there, it started to rain. But it didn't go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. It poured. PUSH! 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 The rain came down hard. It came down very fast and very hard. It kept on coming down and coming down and coming down. And Anansi stood up there on the top of the hill, and he smiled. Eee. But then he smiled a little less. Eee. Then a little less. Eee. Then a little less. Huh? And soon, Anansi was frowning because Anansi realized the rain wasn't stopping. It kept on coming down harder and harder and harder and harder. The rain came down so hard that the ground got covered in water. And then the water came up a little higher. And then a little higher. And then a little higher. And soon the plants went underwater. And then the crops went underwater. And then Anansi's tractor went underwater. And then Anansi's house went underwater. And it kept on raining and raining and raining till right there in the valley where Anansi's farm was, was a great big lake of water. And Anansi smacked himself in the head. And he said, oh, why didn't I listen to Rabbit and Turtle? Oh, why? And he was very upset. And he left very, very upset and very embarrassed. Well, from that day to this day, If you go to the southern tip of Africa, you'll find a great big lake of water surrounded by a lot of farmland. And no one knows how that lake got there. But now you all know, it's all because of that greedy little spider named Anansi. And that is the end. Big Joe Pagliuca
0: with Anansi and the Rain Cloud, a fun story and a great reminder of the importance of being thankful for what we're given. And the next story that we have for you comes from uh, the great North Carolina storyteller Donald Davis. And in this tale from his childhood, Donald reflects on his family's misadventures in cooking poultry with the brand new General Electric stove in their new house. Cooking is often an adventure, and family always is. Here's Donald Davis with Sunday Dinner on the Appleseed.
3: In our new house, we had an electric stove, the first stove my mother ever cooked on that she didn't have to build a fire in. General Electric turned the switch, the heat came on. On the Sunday after we moved in, my mother said, I'm going to cook a hen for dinner. I'll put it in a big pot and let it simmer while we're gone to church and then brown it in the oven when we get home. She put about an eight-pound fat hen in a big pot on the stove, had it turned on high to really get it boiling, and on the way out to the car, she turned the General Electric stove one notch to simmer. My daddy came through the kitchen, The electric stove hadn't cooled down enough for the hen to stop boiling yet, and he thought, oh, she forgot to turn it down. So he turned the hen down again. And we left for three hours with a fat eight-pound hen boiling away on high, full, general electric heat. We were always the last people to come home from church. My daddy always came home with a different hat because he had to take the one that was left when everybody else was gone. We opened the kitchen door and couldn't see inside the house. There was a solid wall of greasy, gray, green chicken smoke. The house had been saved because a fuse had blown when the pot had melted down through the eye on the stove. It smelled like somebody started singeing your hair and just kept going. My mother started crying and blaming, crying and blaming. My daddy in a moment knew exactly what he had done, but it took him 20 years to admit it. He started to step in the door, When his foot hit the linoleum of the kitchen floor, it slid out from under him. And then we learned that that smoke had carried eight pounds of rendered burned chicken lard into every crack and corner in the house. There was burned chicken lard in folded linens never used in the bottom of the cedar chest. There was burned chicken lard in glasses, never turned over in the back of the cabinets in the kitchen. Burned chicken lard under the rugs. My mother said it was even behind the paint on the walls. The next morning, a whole crew came. The house had to be torn apart, everything washed, everything scrubbed, everything cleaned, and finally repainted, And the work crew came to start all that work on the first day school was out for the summer and my little brother and I were there to get in the way. Donald Davis with
0: Sunday Dinner here on The Appleseed. Lots more coming up. Stick around. I'm Sam Payne.
4: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
5: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
0: It's such a pleasure for me to be with you for a special episode of The Appleseed in celebration of Thanksgiving. We've talked a little bit about food and greed and thankfulness. We even heard a little bit from America's first president, George Washington. And now, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through passing them on, telling to telling, through the things that we see on screen or the things we read in great books or the things we experience in terrific songs. And of course, some of the most important stories, some of the most memorable stories in our lives come to us through interactions with the great food of our family. And here to talk with me about food stories a little bit is our producer, Jeff Simpson. Jeff, it's great to have you with me. Great to be here. Surprise, surprise, you're talking food, and look who's here. (laughs) Ain't it the way? Ain't it the way? (laughs) Well, you've got a favorite food that you want to talk a little bit about. I'm, 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 my mouth is already watering, I got to say.
6: I don't want to tell you what it is right away because I want to take a little bit of time getting there. I want you to earn this, Sam. (laughs) And, uh, for in my family growing up, Thanksgiving was such a magical time, Oh yeah! you know, where anything could happen, even though we did the same exact thing every year. Right. <laughs> my dad would come pick us up early from school, you know, and there's that sense of pride. Oh, I get to get out before all my peers. <laughs> and he would pack our big Dodge van in a way that. All the suitcases would be on the bottom. Then he would pad it with pillows and blankets. Back in the day, you know, when you didn't have to worry as much about safety. (laughs) And without being judged too harshly, you could just lay down for the entire trip. That's right. So we would take the four-hour drive from Anaheim, California to Fresno. And on the way we would we would pull out the summer sausage and trisket crackers and pop open the soda cans while we're listening to the coasters with songs like Charlie Brown and Love Potion (laughs) Number Nine just on the tape deck. I have such fond memories of that. What I did not love And, you know, this is a source of much laughter on the way to grandmother's house, was the smell of the manure that we would inevitably come across on the way to Fresno. Oh, as
0: you pass the... Right.
6: (laughs) But the greatest juxtaposition of that, Sam, is when you would get to grandma's house, you would open that front door, and the first thing that you could smell was you just knew on her stove there was this big... Pot of chicken noodle soup oh. that was heating up and just waiting for you to indulge in, right? And you could smell all the ingredients the chicken, the salt in the broth. And when you just slurped into that first bite, it went down so smoothly. And you got to be careful not to eat it too hot because then you can't taste anything for the rest of Thanksgiving. That's
0: right. Yeah, you take one bite of soup that's too hot and it ruins the rest of the bowl. Right,
6: but the journey wasn't even over there because you knew that beyond the kitchen in the laundry room, there were two... Uh, freshly baked pumpkin pies that oh, were just cooling, man. and you. But you did have to wait for those, unfortunately, <laughs> until Thanksgiving. And then, if you went out that back door, you knew that Grandma's big orange tree was just sitting there with these big, giant oranges ready for you to dig into. And uh, man, when I think of Thanksgiving at Grandma's house, I think about all. The great mouth-watering food that just made it so much of an experience and such a magical experience. Really, it's
0: so interesting. You know, one of the things that you said that it's a, that it's a time that promises all kinds of magic. Even though the same thing happens every time, right? right? Anything
6: could happen, <laughs> but it'll be the same things. But you love that. You, you love, love those having things. those
0: routines as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And, and and what a lovely comment on your grandmother that she's paying attention to when you left the house. She's paying attention to how long it takes you to get there so that by the time you get there, she's got the pot of soup ready to oh, go. Oh, yeah. That's marvelous.
6: Yeah. Is there a particular dish, whether from your grandma or in, in your home, that— is just kind of the staple holiday dish
0: that every time you'd
6: get together, you just couldn't wait to get into.
0: <laughs> well, my 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 mother's parents mm-hmm. uh, made a lot of Greek food. Yeah. Right. And so I remember the, the the equivalent of what you're talking about is showing up at grandma's house to the smell of freshly baking uh, baklava. Oh. And uh, yeah. And and not everybody likes baklava, but I love it. And uh, <laughs> and and I I of course it's it's a part of my life from the time I was a little child. But there's something that you said about walking into your grandmother's house and even. The, that the familiar smell of that chicken soup, you know, I mean, there are places that I've, you know, doors that I've walked into, and there's a particular, smell in that room that's such a potent trigger for a memory you know i know that if i walked in to a room that smelled like my grandma's house did i would i would recognize that smell even though my grandmother moved from that house when i was a teenager you know yeah. and it would put me right back at her at her house and
6: you know other than food you know i love talking about movies too and it really reminds me of that scene in at the end of Ratatouille, when that very stiff, uh, you know, upper nose, I don't know what you would call <laughs> of this, this food critic that, yeah. you know, there was nothing that you could do right for this food critic. And yet when this very simple peasant, quote, peasant dish was presented to him, he took one bite of it and you could see the camera zooming in onto his brain and him reliving his childhood, and his mother putting this plate of ratatouille in front of him, and he gets emotional That's about right. it, and then writes That's this, right. this 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 uh, this glowing review of this restaurant from of this plate that is presented to him by a rat. That,
0: pheno- <laughs> that phenomenon is so well captured. That that yes. phenomenon of of being presented with a, something to eat that is so like what you remember eating as a as a child that it takes you right back there.
6: Oh, it, chicken soup it's so formative for so many people and it's you you taste certain foods and all of a sudden you're home
0: (laughs) well what a wonderful thing to spend just a moment if only in memory with Jeff's grandma's chicken soup after a long drive what a pleasure to have you with us Jeff great to be here We're happy to have had Jeff Simpson join us for a little conversation about grandma's chicken soup on a special episode of the Appleseed in celebration of Thanksgiving Day. Now, you've uh, done it before, maybe taken out your phone and recorded a family story from someone important to you. I did that not too long ago. I put a microphone in front of my wife and asked her to tell me a story about something that she was thankful for. This is the story that came out. You know, gathering memories in this way can be pretty easy, but also pretty rewarding. Though this little recording was just made on my phone in our living room, I'm fond of it. Happy to share it with you on today's episode of The Appleseed.
4: I had a really hard time learning how to read. My teacher... Mrs. James intervened. She came and talk to my mom, and she said, you're going to have to teach her to read. You're, you're going to have to work with her. She said, everything we're doing in school isn't working. But she also, she found out things about me. She came to my house for lunch. She found out that my mother read to me all the time, constantly. She asked me to recommend a book to the class, and I brought James and the Giant Peach from home. She started reading it out loud. She told the class that that I had brought it, that I had recommended it my mom started working with me at home. She had me read to her every single day. I had to read to her. And it seemed to me that I read for about three hours every day after school, but it was probably about 15 minutes. My mom would sit in our bedroom, in 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 my bedroom and I would sit next to her and I had to read out loud and she would hold my baby sister on her lap and the baby would get very sleepy because I think because I read so slowly and I know now from teaching my own children to read that it is... It's so horrific, teaching children to read is the most lulling thing in the world. And the baby would watch me, and, and I was very worried. I was very frightened. I had this sense that if I didn't get this now, I was never going to get it. And the baby would watch me, and sometimes I would, I'd hit a place that I couldn't, I couldn't go forward, and the baby would lean over, and she'd, um, she'd pat me on the arm. That was one thing that happened. The other thing that happened was um, my memory is of, of being out in the evening with my dad around Christmas time. Maybe he was doing some Christmas shopping, I don't. We were in this wonderful store. It was the most wonderful place I'd ever been. It was evening and it was full of all these lamps everywhere. There was all this wonderful low light and there were armchairs everywhere. And and people were sitting in the armchairs by these lamps It was kind of quiet, but people were talking and they were, they were talking and, and the people who worked at the store, it was like they were friends with the people who were shopping and they were, they were walking around and they were talking to people and I had never been in a store like this and the the store was filled, filled with books and I was wandering all over the store in the evening. It was the most, it was the most, it was the warmest, sweetest richest place I'd ever been. I was watching the adults, and I was watching the way they interacted with each other and how they would take books off the shelves and open them up and show things to each other. And they would they would read a little bit to the person that they were with, and that person would lean in to see the book. And, and they'd look at each other and they, this little smile would pass between them like, like something wonderful had happened. And there was this whole conversation going on in this store. Just, just on the right, as you went in the door, there was a big shelf. And, the, and a lot of the books were, were, were put on the shelf so that, so that you could see their faces. And they were children's books. But Some of the books were thick. They looked like the, the books the adults were taking off of the shelves and showing to each other and sharing back and forth. But these were on a shelf for children. And, and I sat down, cross-legged on the floor, and I started pulling those books off the shelf and opening them. And they were full of words, and there were no pictures in them and it seemed to me like a window opened up or a door that there were these serious adult books that were written for children and and that somebody somewhere wanted children to be part of this conversation that was going on in this store this this wonderful warm lively rich conversation that these people were having as they were passing these books back and forth and and i found one book it had kind of a kind of a dark, it was kind of an olive green, kind of a, a drab green cut cover, cloth cut cover, and, and had no pictures in it. But on the front, there was a painting. The painting was of a little girl and a little boy sitting under a tree. The girl is dressed in very old clothes. She has blonde hair and it's kind of thin and straggly. It's down on her shoulders, and she doesn't look look very happy, and she's watching the boy with just this incredible fixed look of interest. And the boy is smiling, and he has this wonderful, happy face. He's got these big, round cheeks, and he's got red, red hair. And on his shoulder, there is a squirrel. And in his lap, there's a fox. And he and the girl are looking at a crow that's walking around on the ground. And the painting was, to me, so beautiful. When I opened the book, the cloth cover was rich and, and strong, and the, and the pages were thick. And they weren't all cut so that they were even on the edge. They were They had sort of a sort of a rough edge to them and the pages the pages were thick and they were wonderful to turn and the print was 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 embossed into the page I didn't know that that was what it was called but it was it was sunk in the page so you could feel it a little bit with your fingers and I thought that that book was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my whole life and I took it to my dad and I said I said could I have this book I think it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my whole life and he said okay, I'll buy you this book. But he said, I'm not going to read it to you. You're going to have to learn to read. If you want to know what's in this book, you're going to have to learn to read this yourself. And that's when I knew that I was going to read. And I read The Secret Garden. I have that book on my shelf of treasures. All the books that changed my life over the years as I read them and read them again and read them and read them and re- read them. Reading would become for me a window into the most beautiful conversation that I can imagine that people have been having with each other since there have been people who could write. Reading changed my world, it made my world, it created my world, and I am thankful for it. <music>
0: a little cell phone recording made in our living room of my wife talking about something for which she is thankful. Of course, her talk about being thankful for reading is backed up by bookshelf after bookshelf in every room of our home filled with hundreds and hundreds of books. It's a pleasure to share that story with you and to encourage you to do some of that kind of memory-gathering yourself. It's easier nowadays than ever. All you need is the recorder on your phone and a person willing to tell you their story. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. Stick around for a great Thanksgiving story from Dolores Highdock. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne.
5: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on The Apple Seed, a special episode of the show filled with stories in celebration of Thanksgiving. We've heard from Jeff Simpson, who talked about Grandma's chicken soup. We heard an Anansi story from uh, Big Joe Pagliuca, and a tale about Sunday dinner cooking poultry in the new General Electric stove from Donald Davis. And, of course, at the top of the hour, a proclamation from George Washington, written and delivered in 1789. Read for us by Ron Fredrickson. Up next, a story from Dolores Hydock, the great Alabama storyteller. And in this story, a boy named David Dodge doesn't think much of Thanksgiving and doesn't think much of his father's prayers in every prayer over the food. His father says, thank you for our abundant blessings. Well, David doesn't even know what that means. There's a Thanksgiving lesson for David, and maybe for us in this story. Here's Dolores Hydock with abundant blessings on the apple seed.
5: Thanksgiving was an important holiday in the Dodge family, but then All holidays were important in the Dodge family. Dr. and Mrs. Dodge were large, happy, generous, loving people. They loved life, loved family, loved to celebrate, loved holidays. They had seven children of their own, and their extended family included three grandparents, eight aunts and uncles, 13 cousins, and any number of close friends. And on any given holiday, major or minor, including Groundhog Day, Arbor Day, and National Crawfish Eating Day, Some collection of all those people could be found in the Dodge family kitchen gathered around the big wooden table that had been custom-made and painted lime green to match the cabinets. That table held nine people for two meals every day of the year, but on holidays, with its three extensions, it could seat 18 at one time. The big mahogany dining room table was rarely used. Oh, now and then it might hold plates of white cake with peppermint frosting for a child's birthday or silver trays of ham biscuits and cheese straws for an open house on New Year's Day, but for really important meals. And, well, which meals were not really important? The Dodge family ate in the kitchen. And for Thanksgiving dinner, they ate there, too. Eight-year-old David Dodge... Hated Thanksgiving. Well, maybe hated is too strong a word. There were a few things about the holiday that he liked. He loved having all the relatives come to visit. His Aunt Julie would come to visit. She lived two states away, and they didn't see her much. She had a big, funny laugh, and she would always bring extra homemade peanut butter fudge because she knew it was David's favorite. Granddaddy Wallace would come visit. He was teaching David magic tricks. and could pull a quarter from behind your ear. All the cousins would come. They'd go outside, play in the warm November sunshine, play hide-and-go-seek and scavenger hunt and tag until Mrs. Dodge called everyone in for Thanksgiving dinner. And then came the reason that David hated Thanksgiving. He hated Thanksgiving because it was all about food. And in particular, it was all about the food that David hated the most. You see, David hated orange food. He liked white food. He liked white bread with the crust cut off and the white meat of chicken and plain mashed potatoes and plain vanilla ice cream, but he hated orange food. He wouldn't eat oranges or carrots or cantaloupe or orange jello or macaroni and cheese with that thick, ugly orange crust on it or, or even the candy corn you got at Halloween. And Thanksgiving was loaded with orange food pumpkin pie sweet potato casserole, butternut squash, mandarin oranges in the ambrosia salad, and a whole lot of other foods that weren't technically orange but might as well have been, they were just as disgusting. Cranberry sauce with whole berries, Brussels sprouts, good old dependable white rice made inedible by the unforgivable addition of golden raisins and pecans. And so to David, The Thanksgiving dinner table was a kind of culinary battleground where he had to be on constant guard against friendly fire. Every evening when the Dodge family sat down to dinner, Dr. Dodge would raise his right hand, everyone would fall silent for the blessing. Bless his food, O Lord, of the nourishment of our bodies and us to thy service. And before Thanksgiving dinner, and only before Thanksgiving dinner, he would add, just before the Amen, And on this special day of giving thanks, Lord, we thank you most especially for each other and for our abundant blessings. David didn't know what abundant blessings were. He'd heard his father use that phrase every Thanksgiving for as long as he could remember, but he had no idea what it meant. He asked his mother about it once, and she said, "Um, Well, um, let's see, I guess it's, it's when you get ever so much more than you expect or deserve. He still didn't know what that meant, but he didn't ask her any more about it. He just thought about what she'd said, ever so much more than you expect or deserve. Eight-year-old David was right in the middle of the seven Dodge children. He had three older brothers who teased him mercilessly when they weren't ignoring him, twin baby sisters who made a lot of noise and got a lot of attention, and a six-year-old brother, Paul, with whom David shared a bedroom and most of his free time. David loved Paul, and the best way his eight year old heart knew to show how much he loved his little brother was to torment him in every possible opportunity, in every possible way. When Paul was getting ready for bed, David would tie the laces of his sneakers together in a tight knot and throw them deep underneath the bed so that Paul would have a hard time the next morning finding his shoes and getting them on. He told Paul he was adopted. He made fun of his name, he'd call him Polly and say, "Polly want a cracker, Polly want a cracker. Paul would get mad, get red in the face, and scream at David to quit it, but David wouldn't. He'd keep on and keep on until he made Paul cry. And whenever they played Frontier, David's favorite game, Paul always had to be the Indian, while David got to be Davy Crockett. Oh, Davy Crockett was David's hero he felt like they shared a special bond because, after all, they had the same first name. He watched the Davy Crockett show every time it was on TV, and for his most recent birthday, his parents had given him an official Davy Crockett coonskin cap. Oh, Davy Crockett was so brave and so strong. He wasn't afraid of anything, and whenever David had some especially scary experience to get through the next day, like a spelling test or a trip to the dentist, he would go to sleep the night before, wearing the coonskin cap so that some of Davy Crockett's courage could seep into his own eight-year-old bones. And of course, he had a rule that Paul was never, ever to touch the coonskin cap. But Paul and David were buddies too. They walked to school together every day to make the time go faster. David would make up jokes and riddles. If Paul couldn't sleep at night, David would tickle his back and sing, You Are My Sunshine, to him until he drifted off. He taught him how to fill a water balloon just full enough that it would explode when it hit the sidewalk, but not so full that it would burst all over your shoes. On Sunday afternoons, when Dr. Dodge would go to the office for a little while after church, Paul and David would go along and the two of them would spin around on the swivel stools in the examining rooms and they'd get the chairs on wheels out of the business office and race them up and down the linoleum-tiled hallway. They'd look down each other's throats and up each other's noses and they'd weigh each other on the scale that was bigger than they were and they'd read to each other from the eye chart. And so in spite of, or maybe even because of, all the bickering, the two were best friends. One Friday in early October, Dr. Dodge was out of town at a medical meeting. The three older boys were off for the weekend at a Boy Scout camp out. The twin girls were sick with bad colds, and when Paul and David came home from school, Mrs. Dodge asked the two of them to please play quietly outside. I just finally got the girls down for a nap, and I'm going to go rest a little bit myself. I'll call you when supper's ready. Please be good. Well, they went outside, rode their bikes a little while, threw a few water balloons at some squirrels, and then David wanted to play Frontier. But after about 10 minutes, Paul started to whine. Why do I always have to be the Indian? Why can't I be Davy Crockett? <laughs> because your name's not David. You've got a girl's name. Your name's Polly. Polly want a cracker. Polly want a cracker. Paul got mad, got red in the face, screamed at David to quit it, but David wouldn't. Polly won a cracker, Polly won a cracker. Paul reached up to snatch that coonskin cap from David's head, but David just laughed and darted away. You can't catch me, Polly won a cracker! Paul chased David all around the backyard, all around the front yard. You can't catch me, Polly want a cracker. They ran into the house, up the front stairs toward their bedroom. David was about two arm lengths ahead of Paul. The minute he got inside their room, he reached behind and slammed the door shut hard to keep Paul from getting in, just about the same time that Paul reached out to keep the door from shutting. Paul's screams, ripped Mrs. Dodge from her nap, woke up the twins. made David's heart stop beating. It didn't take Mrs. Dodge long to figure out that she needed to get Paul to the emergency room. She called a neighbor to come and stay with the twins, and she told David to sit there on his bed. To sit there and not move until she came back. (laughs) She didn't slap him, she didn't yell at him, she didn't even shake him the way she sometimes did when she was angry with him. She just talked to him in that tight, tired voice that she used when she was disappointed in him. (laughs) David did sit there. He didn't move. He was scared. He was sorry. And he was in the worst trouble he'd ever been in in his entire life. He didn't mean to hurt Paul never mean to hurt Paul. He didn't even know he had the power to hurt Paul until it all happened so fast. But the worst part wasn't hurting Paul. The worst part was giving his mother so much trouble while his dad was away, and the boys were away, and the girls were sick, and she had asked him especially to be good. And he knew that when his dad got home, he was going to be punished like he had never been punished before. Oh, he'd lose his TV privileges for sure. He'd never get to watch the Davy Crockett show ever again. They might make him go sleep in the garage and not share a room with Paul. Might make him go live with some family that didn't have little brothers to hurt. It was a long time before Mrs. Dodge came home. David heard her car pull into the garage, heard her bring Paul inside, put him to bed in her room. Then he heard her talking on the telephone to his dad for a long time in that tight, tired voice. He didn't go down for supper, she didn't call him. He fell asleep, fully dressed on top of the covers, the Davy Crockett coonskin cap on for courage. The next morning, David got up early, went downstairs, the house was quiet. He made himself some breakfast, three bowls of sugar smacks with extra sugar. Went outside to play, rode his bike a while. That was kind of boring. He thought maybe he'd get his water pistol and shoot it at that wasp nest in the corner of the garage, see if the wasp would know they were under attack or would they think it was just raining. (laughs) But that wouldn't be any fun to do by himself. He could see if his neighbor Michael wanted to come out and play. They could make smoke signals, see if they could catch their cowboy kerchiefs on fire like they did last time. But he didn't want to play with Michael. He wanted to play with Paul. He missed Paul. He went inside. His mother was in the kitchen. Did you get some breakfast, David? Yeah. Um, how's Paul? He's okay. He needed a couple of stitches, but he's going to be fine. He's resting. I, I need you to be sort of quiet today so he can get some extra rest. When does Dad get home? Around supper time. All that day. David didn't know what to do with himself. He was inside the house, outside the house, in, out, in, out, just waiting for the endless afternoon to pass. Finally, around 5 o'clock, he saw his dad's car round the corner, heading toward the house. He ran inside, went straight to his room, dreading the moment his dad was going to call him downstairs, which he did almost immediately. David, get down here. He followed his dad into the den. David, shut the door. Oh, this was gonna be just awful. There was a floor-to-ceiling bookcase that lined one wall of the den. And from the top shelf, his dad pulled a big book covered in red with gold letterings on the front. He sat down at the sofa, motioned for David to come sit next to him. His dad opened the book, it was a medical text. He opened it to the chapter on hands. He showed David how the hand was made, how there were 27 bones from the fingertip to the wrist, showed him the muscles and ligaments that made the hand strong. Human hand's a marvelous thing, David, his dad said. The same hand can fire a gun or write a love letter, can build a bridge or tear it down, can give somebody a pat on the back or a punch in the nose. What's important is how you use the power of your hands. Now, David, I can't open this book to a chapter on words. I can't show you how words are made or what gives them their strength. But words are powerful, too. David, you want to think about how you use the power of words. He put the book back, went over to his desk. From underneath the desk, he pulled a big brown sack. And from the sack, he pulled a large white cardboard box, handed it to David. The box was unwrapped. Across the bottom right-hand corner in big navy blue letters were the words, Championship Sports, Williamsburg, Virginia. David opened the box, and from a cloud of tissue paper, he pulled a Maury Wills model infielder's glove and a gleaming white ball. His dad said, I know it's not your birthday. It's not even close to Christmas. This This is just because your mother and I love you. There's another one in here for Paul. Tomorrow morning, you boys can see if they work. Now, go get washed up for supper. And that was it. That was all he said. And the next morning, even though Paul's right hand was sore, the two boys played catch with the new ball and gloves, David throwing the ball softly, gently, so that Paul could catch one-handed. A few weeks later, it was Thanksgiving Day, all the relatives arrived, Aunt Julie came with her extra homemade peanut butter fudge, Granddaddy Wallace showed up, pulled a half dollar from behind David's ear, all the cousins went outside to play in the warm November sunshine, played scavenger hunt, and hide-and-go-seek, and catch with a new ball and gloves, and then Mrs. Dodge called everybody into the kitchen for Thanksgiving dinner. They all assembled around the big lime green table with its three extensions. Dr. Dodge raised his right hand. Everyone fell silent for the blessing. Bless this food, O Lord, to the nourishment of our bodies and us to thy service. And then he added, as he did every Thanksgiving, And on this special day of giving thanks, Lord, we thank you most especially for each other and for... And suddenly everything went into slow motion for David. He knew what was coming next. He watched his father's lips say, and for our abundant blessings. And it was like firecrackers went off in his brain. He knew what that meant. He looked at his father's bowed head and thought about the baseball glove instead of the punishment. He looked at his mother and thought about the special lunch that she made for him to take to school every day, a mayonnaise sandwich on white bread with the crust cut off and three chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) He thought about his brother Paul, who with 18 places at table to choose from, had said, I want to sit next to David. He had abundant Mm -hmm. blessings. He had ever so much more than he ever expected or deserved And he knew it for the first time. He was so startled by this sudden revelation that he didn't even notice that his dad had stopped saying the blessing. That that people were starting to pass around the bowls of food. That someone was helping his plate. Didn't even notice that what he was about to put into his mouth was a fork full of sweet potato casserole. (laughs) Until he tasted it. Sweet and creamy and really good. (laughs) That night, David lay there in bed, wide awake. He felt so full. Not because of the two pieces of pumpkin pie he'd eaten before bed. No, he didn't feel full in his stomach. He felt full someplace higher up, someplace he didn't even know you could feel full. What a strange day it had been. The world sure looked different than it did when he started out that day. He had a whole lot he had to figure out. He got out of bed quietly so he wouldn't wake Paul, went over to the dresser, pulled down the coonskin cap, put it on, and went to sleep. A brave little pioneer with a whole frontier of a world ahead of him.
0: Dolores Hidalgo with a story called Abundant Blessing A terrific benediction to our hour of Thanksgiving stories today. It's been a great one, hasn't it? Not only did we get to learn, along with David Dodge, about abundant blessings, but we got to hear from Jeff Simpson about his grandma's chicken soup and the comfort of that great food. And we heard about misadventures in cooking poultry with Donald Davis, the wonderful North Carolina storyteller who brought us a little piece called Sunday dinner about cooking in the brand new General Electric stove in their new house. We heard an Anansi story, those terrific stories about the trickster spider. Versions of those stories exist in all kinds of places all over the world. They originated in West Africa, and Big Joe Pagliuca shared with us Anansi and the Rain Cloud, a story that is to some degree about Uh, the importance of being thankful for what we're given. Of course, at the top of the hour, you heard George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation, a proclamation given in 1789, instituting a day for the giving of thanks. And it was my pleasure to bring you a little cell phone recording of my wife talking about how thankful she is for reading. What a pleasure it's been to be with you today, and we hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again. On the Appleseed.
4: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.